So I uh, had, a, had some time off, and, uh, and one of the things I was thinking about is the things I need to change in the coming year, and the things I wish would change in the world in the coming year, and, and, uh, and I was thinking about how does real change happen? How does real change happen? And I was kind of thinking through the process, and you know, it begins with a change of heart. Uh, Cody's been talking about that, how you see something, and, and like Nehemiah did, and, and Nehemiah saw that his homeland, which he may have never even been to before, was uh, in shambles, Jerusalem was. And the reason that mattered is because it was a symbol, it was representative of his, his religion, his belief in God. It was actually a part of the grand narrative of God restoring or uh, reconciling humanity to himself, and Jerusalem is a key part of that. And, uh, and wanted to go rebuild it. So something shook him up, something uh, caused him to take uh, note and, and kind of moved him. But when we come to this place where we finally realize, as Cody talked about last week, uh, that we need to address things that break our heart and break God's heart, how do we do that? How does it happen? Uh, would, and I just want to suggest you, it doesn't happen by one person alone. It happens in teams. It happens as we together address something as we choose together to do something. So today I want to talk about how to actually see change happen. Um, we uh, at the church talk about loving God, loving others, bringing change, but we don't do that individually. And so uh, I want to talk about from Nehemiah what you need to do next. Maybe you've decided this coming year you need to do some work on yourself. You need to maybe lose weight. I heard somebody had that problem. And, uh, and, and that's part of their goal for the new year. Maybe you saw something in your marriage, your family, your community that needs to be addressed. And I just want to say up front, you're not going to be able to do it alone. And uh, Nehemiah kind of is an example of that. I I read this uh, quote this week. It says, three kinds of people in the world, those who don't know what's happening, those who watch things happening, and those who make things happen. I think I want to see us be the kind of people who make things happen. But we're going to have to do it together. So what do we do? Well, in Nehemiah 2.8, Cody finished with this last week. So Nehemiah is this guy, he's, he's living in a faraway land, comes back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, uh, the walls anyway. <coughs> Excuse me, he goes to, the, <clears throat> goes to the king, he says to the king, this is what's happening in my homeland, would you give me the stuff to fix it and give me safe passage and time off to go do it? And the king says yes. And so we begin with this fun, a fundamental thing, before I get to the whole um, kind of the, the body of this message, we need to have a prerequisite. We need to lay it out there because this is where Nehemiah started. And it's found in Nehemiah 2, verse 8. And he says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now, that's an important phrase there because Nehemiah, before he went to fix the deal, he consulted God. He prayed. Cody talked about that in the first chapter. He prayed and asked God's help. And then God uh, was, first thing you got to do is be on God's team. You got to be on God's team. Before you set up any other teams, before you do set out to change anything, you got to make sure you're on God's team. Now, here is the problem. Many of us want God to be on our team. Now, God is on your side. He's for you. The Bible tells you he's for you. He, he wants to bless you. But God doesn't join your team. You join God's team. And that's kind of how we got it backwards, isn't it? Here's what we do. We go, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, come on, God, let's go. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Come on, let's go. Let's go. I'm going to do this. And God's going, I don't think so. Because what God knows is you're about to run off a cliff. <laughs> and the way it works is you don't invite God to join your team. It's not your agenda that matters because you don't know squat. You really don't. And that's like a paraphrase from the Greek. I'll show you in a minute. 
Here's how it works with God. God says, join my team. Join my team and your life will matter. Your life will count. Your life will be fulfilled. It'll be important. Join my team. I'm not joining your team. God doesn't join your team. Just get over it, okay? So one of the first things we have to start with is whose team you on? Are you on team me or team him? And until you get that straight, you're going to be confused. And you can go through your whole life playing team me and thinking you're doing great and you're winning at the game and it turns out you're playing the wrong game the whole time. You could win at the wrong game and still end up empty, right? So here is what Nehemiah did from the very beginning. I'm on God's team. By the way, saying, okay, that's cute. That, what is that really? Okay, Cody and I can both tell you this. Any, any number of the pastors around here can tell you this. We have people show up in our office all the time and say, I, uh, my marriage is awful. It's awful. We got married 18 months ago. We were so in love, and now I cannot stand the woman. Or he is such an animal, or whatever it is. And, and I just need God to fix this. No, here's what it really, I mean, I need God to fix them. And I always want to say, did you pray before you married that person? Are, do you feel, and when I do premarital counseling, I rarely do weddings anymore, but when I used to a lot, I would ask, do you believe, the two of you, do you believe God has brought you together? Have you prayed about this? Have you sought God about this second most important decision in your life? Have you? Because if you haven't and you come whining to me later, I'm going to tell you God doesn't go on your team. You go on God's team, and you didn't this time. It doesn't mean there's not hope for your marriage, but you've got to repent and get on God's team. By the way, can I mention something? When I'm off, like for a couple of weeks, I have time, I get a little ornery. <laughs> so if there are seatbelts in your seat, you might want to put them on because this is going to be a fun morning. We don't actually have seatbelts, but we may get them. I'm just feeling we might. <laughs> Seriously, here's the deal. We, we have our agenda in life. We got our direction. And then we say, God, now come bless this. And God's going, but I know better. Why don't you ask me what you should do? And then we'll partner together and we'll do some amazing things. And if you think I'm overstating the case, listen to what it says in the book of James. It says in James 4, 13 through 17, it says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And here's where it's kind of, my dad used to have this phrase when I was a kid, and he used to say, uh, son, you're getting a little big for your britches. It wasn't about gaining weight, it was about me thinking a little too highly of myself, okay? And, and, uh, and this is kind of this next phrase in this passage, like, you think you got it all figured up? I figured out, wake up, listen to this. He says this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. <laughs> How do you feel about yourself now? Big shot, right? The point of this is you have a very limited scope of understanding about the world in which you live. You have, frankly, have a pretty limited understanding about who you are and what you're created to do. And yet, listen to this, you are a mist. You have about this much experience compared to God says this. Instead, you ought to say to the God who has been forever and will be forever, to the God who created you and knit you together in your mother's womb, you ought to say, a better way to do this is, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, meaning I've consulted God like Nehemiah did, I have a sense I'm supposed to do something about that. If I have sought God and I have a sense about it and says then and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. In other words, 
Our lives are to be lived in partnership with God. We're to be on his team. It's a predetermined partnership. I'm on your team, God. Where you lead me, what you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Who I marry, I'm going to ask you. What job I take, I'm going to consult with you because I'm on your agenda, not mine. Because your agenda is better than mine. Your agenda will supersede mine. It'll be better than anything I can come up with. I am on your team and on your agenda. That is what is being said here. So I I just want to say, if you don't hear anything else I say today, start with this. Make sure you're on God's team and you're not asking him to be on yours. Because God loves you. He is for you. But he's not going to join your agenda. He's going to give you a better agenda. It's called his agenda. And it's more powerful, more wonderful. than So we start with that. Here, I, let's, let's just evaluate. Just let's stop for a moment here. What are you partnering with God on right now? What are you partnering with God on his agenda? What are you doing on his team right now? What is it? So you're saying, oh, okay, let me give you one. Um, building a strong marriage. I believe that God's will for my life is that I have a strong marriage. I believe that God and I are partnering together to build a strong marriage. Now, you need to know something about me and my wife. We are two of the most hard-headed, stubborn, opinionated people you will ever meet. She, slightly less than me, but only slightly. You think building a marriage between two people like that is easy? It is not. But we believe that God has called us to build a strong marriage. And so we, each of us, partnering with God and partnering with each other, are building a strong marriage. I am partnering with God to build a strong marriage. I am partnering with God to build a strong family. I believe that's on his agenda. I don't just make that up. It says so here. My first point of ministry is my wife and then my kids and grandkids. We are partnering with God in this. So what are you partnering with God on right now? So we say, well, I'm trying to do a marriage. But are you partnering with God? Are you inviting God into that marriage? Are you asking for God's will in the marriage? Because you're going to have to give up some anger, some bitterness, some stuff if you're going to partner with God to build a marriage. You follow me? You see, I think the question is not, what are we partnering with God? But am I partnering with God on every single thing in my life? God wants us to be on his team in every single thing in, in, in my life. So this week I was on vacation. Is it possible to partner with God on vacation? I think we're supposed to. So I had this weird thing happen. Okay, I'm going to just tell you about it. I don't know what it means. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just telling you something. And so I'm in this faraway city. It's cold. And, uh, I, and, I, and I become aware of this person. I've never met him before, but I become aware of this person. And I have this sense. It's a weird thing. I don't get this. I don't get these. I don't get voices from God. Um, but I just thought I'm supposed to connect with this person. I'm supposed to meet this person. And so I spent a whole week there. And an hour before my flight is to leave, I have the opportunity to go and to meet this person. And I ju- it's just a weird thing. I just need to tell you, I'm an introvert. So vacation for me is less people, better vacation. Right? So, but I just feel like I need to go meet this person. So I, an hour before my flight takes off, I go and I meet this person and something, and I, it just within three minutes, I knew why I was supposed to meet this person. There was just something that we needed to connect about. I don't know what the outcome is supposed to be. I don't know what's going to happen, but it was such a God thing. My eyes kind of welled up and their eyes welled up. Something I'd never met before, didn't know from Adam. And yet I knew that there was a divine appointment. Well, okay, that's weird. I know. 
It's freaking me out. And yet, I believe I'm supposed to partner with God even on vacation. What are you partnering with God on right now? Here's another thing that happens. When we realize that we're on his team, and that's the most important. By the way, you need to know that's the most important thing about me. Not that I'm an important person, but the most important thing about me is not where I've been, what I've done, what I've accomplished, what I haven't accomplished. It is that I am on his team. And if you have chosen to be on his team, that's the most important thing about you. It's even more important than where you were victimized or what you're in recovery from. Those things are, but the most important thing is I'm on his team because every other decision in life gets easier when I make that decision. I'm on his team. First and foremost, you need to know it's, what it's called. It's called being a Christian. I'm on his team. That's every other decision is made in light of that and consulting him because I'm on his team. His agenda is the one that matters. Am I going to go here? Am I going to do this? I'm on his team. You need to know that. By the way, when you begin to live your life that way, and I think that's what the Bible indicates we're supposed to do, when we begin to live our lives that way, we begin to have a sense of destiny about ourselves. You ever been in a big city and think, I'm just another ant on this anthill? Like you ever been in New York City and people are just going, I'm going, I'm just another person. What do I matter? If I disappeared tomorrow, nobody would care. But somebody would care. God would care. Because he put you here and he put you here for a reason. For there is something you're supposed to learn. There's something you're supposed to accomplish. You matter because God has put you here. And when I'm on God's team, I realize that, that I'm a pretty important person. If he's thought enough to create me, to put me here, something's going on. I have a sense of destiny. And you're supposed to as well. 30 years ago, when Connie and I came to California to Seal Beach, it was not a great career move to go to a little church where the windows were literally falling out, the carpet was all rumpled and torn, there was no congregation, and not even a single parking space in Seal Beach. Not a great career move. And yet, I believe in my prayer time, I fasted and I prayed and sought God. I believe that He had called us here. And you see, when God calls you to something, there is a sense of destiny about that. I remember one time we had a visiting dignitary from a denomination, and he said something funny. He goes, Doyle, remind me to get you a bigger church. I said, no thanks. I'm not the one God called me to. Because there was a sense of destiny. You're not going to pay me more to go somewhere else. I'm not trying to climb a ladder. I'm where God called me to be. And when there's a sense of destiny, you sink, you sink your feet in there and you just go, I'm here and I'm going to do this with God. We're partnering together, whether it's in a church or it's in a marriage. I believe God brought me and my wife together. I'm not going anywhere. You want me to step out of God's will? You want me to get out of this, this providential place he's put me? Are you crazy? There is nothing better. This is it. This is being in God's will. This is where it works. I'm on his team. This is where he's called me. There's no better place. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. That's what God called him to. He didn't know what was going to need to happen. He didn't know what he was going to meet there or see there and who he was going to meet. And yet he was on God's team. The most important thing you can do in this new year is make sure you're on God's team. Is believing in Jesus Christ. That's good stuff. I don't care if you like it or not. It's good stuff, so deal with it. No, it really was. It's good. It's good. It's good. And now he's ready to do what we all need to do. Once we are on God's team, then we need to have our team. We need to be on a team. Or Good teams don't just happen. Good teams are recruited. And you need a team to accomplish. Whether it's something as, as uh, personal as losing weight, or uh, changing your character, 
overcoming an addiction, restoring a marriage, whatever it might be, you need a team. You need some people. And one of the things that we need to do is look around in our life and see who has God put in my life that could be a part of my team in this area. So in Nehemiah, uh, again in chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, it says this. This is Nehemiah talking. So I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. He was there three days because he was looking at the situation. He didn't just launch in and make a big splash. Nobody knew why he was there. He took three days to study the people and the situation. And, and then, he says, I sat out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone why I was there. He goes on to say that. And he went through, and here's what he did. And you find this in the next few verses. He went and he toured around the walls. Now, we have, uh, um, we have digs, and, and, and you can see where the gates were. You can even walk through some of these gates. He toured the walls of Jerusalem around the outside at night. Nobody knew what he was doing. He took a few guys with him, and he toured them to, to look at something. Now, here's what you need to understand. He did two things. He was looking at the construction that happened. The reason they needed walls was so they could be safe in Jerusalem, part of God's overarching narrative of redemption of mankind. Jesus was going to walk through those very gates. He's setting it up in advance for this. And so he goes and he looks at the construction that needs to happen. So he is taking mental note about what needs to be fixed and how it needs to be fixed. But he's taking mental note about something else. He is making a plan before he kind of goes and, and talks to the people. And we'll find out in chapter 3 what else he's noticing. But it's very important to the work he needs to get done. He does this and he finishes that and then he goes to the people and he starts to recruit his team. And so in this recruitment of his team, we find it in, um, in Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Then I said to them, he's talking to the people of Jerusalem, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God, of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. That's no small thing, they say there, because they've started rebuilding before and didn't, didn't, manage, didn't manage it. And you'll find in, the, in next week, we're going to talk about some guys who opposed them. And so it was actually dangerous for them to begin to rebuild the walls. And yet, this leader, Nehemiah, comes along and he begins to recruit his team. He says, guys, there's something we all know needs to happen. And we can't do it alone because we are stronger together. And he says, you can't do it alone, but together we can do this thing. And so he begins to help them have a vision of what can happen. When you begin to serve on a team, when you begin to not only be on God's team, but you begin to be on a team of peers who are also on God's team, things begin to happen. So here's what I experience as I am on God's team and I work with God's teams, I begin to experience some things. A, I'm a part of God's grand narrative. God is doing something bigger in the world. And, and this one's rebuilding Jerusalem and, and a part of his redemptive plan. But sometimes we work together for, for something big. We want to we help um, the homeless in Orange County, or we want to do a children's ministry that every kid in the area can come and find out about Jesus. As I'm involved in that bigger picture, God is at work in my character and in my personal development. As I'm a part of his team doing his thing, I am growing. One of the things I would say to you is if you're a Christian and you're not part of a team, you are missing out on the greatest opportunity in, in life. Because as you're a part of a team, you grow. A guy came up to me after first service. He says, I just need you to know, I've known this guy 25 years maybe, 20 years. And he said, I need to tell you, I've been in small groups, I've served at the church, all this stuff. He says, but I signed up for Rooted and it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. He says, I am a part of a team. We encourage each other. We, we help each other. 
we grow together. We learn together. This is a guy, this is not a kid. This is a guy that's been around a while. He says, the greatest thing I've done, when you operate on a team and for his purpose, for God's purpose, when you're a part of a team that's serving God's purpose, there is nothing better because that's what you were created to do. We have got to find a team to plug into, not only to serve his purposes, but to grow with each other. You can't do it alone. If you want to have a really frustrating life, try to be a Christian without other Christians. It's awful. You weren't intended to do that. We are to love one another, to encourage one another, carry one another's words, and yes, to serve together. It is an incredibly powerful thing. So what do you, what do, you do with your team? You grow, you, but you don't just sit around and help each other grow. You serve something greater, a greater purpose, something bigger than yourself. A part of why they said they would start rebuilding with him was because they knew it was more than just them. It was about God's kingdom. It was about what God wanted to do in the world. As we, as we kind of think about this, I, I want to give you a couple of thoughts. We live in a highly dysfunctional world. As a result of the fall, as a result of the world we live in, it's so dysfunctional. We have bad instincts. We just do. We have bad instincts. Somebody hurts your feelings. What do you do? You go talk trash on them to somebody else. Everybody knows that's what you do. Never mind that it has no possibility of reconciling or fixing that situation or any forward momentum at all. That's what we do, right? Are, are we going to be honest or are you going to sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so over the years, I've been a part of a lot of teams and most of them I recruited, but every once in a while, God seems to drop somebody in my path. And over the years, it's so funny, he has dropped many psychologists and psychiatrists in my path. Duh. Um, I wonder why. They always seem to find me an interesting study. But one told me a long time ago, and I don't know if it's a part of his body of knowledge that comes with that industry, or I've never read it somewhere else, but it just makes perfect sense. It's common sense. I was in a time in my leadership when there was some opposition, and I wasn't sure how to handle that opposition. That is to say, I wasn't handling it right. And um, I was doing what is instinctive. And so were they. And he said this. He said, Doyle, you need to understand something. Healthy people, and I want you to listen to this. Healthy people rally around a common cause. Unhealthy people rally around a common target. Healthy people, a common cause. Unhealthy people, a common target. You see, the difference is when you're around a common cause, you can join together and do something that matters. By the way, have you guys seen the brown egg thing, the most viewed image, the most liked image in the history of the internet? You guys seen this? My wife told me about this. So the headline was this, look what we can do together. And she opened the thing and thought it was going to be some great humanitarian effort. We solved world hunger or something. It says, we, we now have made this brown egg the most like image in the history of the internet. 50 million people like this brown egg. There's nothing about the brown egg. It's just brown egg. Now, the only good thing about it is it unseated one of the Kardashians as the most viewed image and liked image. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? I, I want to say I'm, I'm great they unseated the Kardashians, but I'm thinking, really, if we got ourselves together, could we do more than just like a brown egg? Could we solve world hunger maybe, right? Or child abuse or something that really matters? God does intend us to work together. We were created to work together, but for something greater, some greater purpose. When my friend said to me, unhealthy people rally around a common target, I realized that my instinct to go talk trash about somebody else because I was wounded is exactly that. You see, it takes the responsibility off me and it says they're a jerk so I don't have to do anything. 
except dislike them. Have you ever watched the news and blamed it on the president or the Congress or Senate or just anybody you could find? Healthy people rally around a common cause. They take ownership, they step up, they make the world better. We as Christians are not supposed to be watching the world go by saying, oh, isn't it awful? We are to get involved and make the world different. Love God, love others, bring change. Nehemiah said, you, people of Jerusalem, you have the opportunity to quit being abused and being victims, to step up together and to serve together and be about a common cause. We as Christians, we can sit around and bemoan the situation in the world, we can make, or we can get together and have a common cause, which is bringing the love of God to bear on the society in which we live. I'm not sure having more laws, different votes, I'm not sure it's going to fix anything, but if Christians in America stood up and said, we're going to love people, we're going to love them in sacrificial ways, together. Oh, it sounds idealistic, doesn't it? And yet it's exactly what we're called to do. It's exactly what made Nehemiah a powerful leader, is he helped people understand that together they could do something they couldn't do individually, something greater than themselves. The whole chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it's just this long, boring list of people who did stuff on the wall that you don't care about. But what's interesting about chapter 3, if you take time, you'll notice some things about it. Every person served in a place that mattered to them. The priests served close to where the priests worked and cared about the religious aspect. Most of the people served and built the wall in front of their house so they would have protection. They had a personal investment and personal benefit to it. Everybody was on the wall. It said everybody from merchants to men to women to perfumers. One of the jobs mentioned is, and the perfumers built this part of the wall. There's got to be a joke there. I can't figure out what it is, but that part of the wall smelled different. I don't, I don't know what it is. The point of the pa- that whole chapter is Nehemiah appreciated it because everybody was on the wall. Everybody was building. Everybody was serving. You know what that is? That's a picture in the New Testament of the body of Christ. In the New Testament, we are called the body of Christ. Why are we called that? Because every part of the body is represented here. We are to operate like a body. The fingers are connected to the hand, connected to the arm, and it's connected and it does what it's supposed to do. And if you're not signed up to be a part of a team, if you're not a part of the body, we're missing some fingers. What if you were the finger that was going to help us to know the next thing we're supposed to do, but you didn't show up? You see, you are an important part of the body. Just like for Nehemiah, every person on the wall mattered. You matter. So here's my bottom line for today. Get off the bench, get in the game. Some of you haven't even joined the team yet. Join the team. And then get off the bench, get in the game, quit being a spectator. You're supposed to be doing something. And in that doing, if you're on God's team and doing what God's called you to do, life is great. 2018 was an interesting year for me. It was really good in most ways and really hard in a couple. My dad, I lost my dad in the summer. And my dad was a great guy. I have no regrets. I can't help but smile when I think of my dad. But I have done some of those kinds of thinking stuff that you do when you lose someone you love. Like what mattered? I tell you, I don't know what was in his bank account. I think they told me, but I don't remember. I'm not in charge. I don't really care. What I don't care about is his house. Probably gonna, they're probably going to sell that. His cars, eh, fine, whatever. What I came to realize is that at the end of one's life, 
there's only a few things that really matter here. Were you on his team? Were you on other people's team? Because those things last forever. And I've kind of become, I don't know right the right word is, frustrated, slightly angered by the lies that we're told in the world in which we live. You see, we are told so many lies that it is possible to believe one lie after another in a long succession so that you just spend your entire life seeking one lie after another. First, they tell you that education is going to fill you up. Nothing wrong with education, but it's not going to fill you up. They're going to say, if you find the right person, they'll fill you up. I love the right person in my life, but she can't fill me up. Then they tell you, if you get the right job, it'll fill you up. I love my job. It won't fill me up. Then they tell you, if you get enough money, it'll fill you up. See, I've seen people go through their entire life trying one thing after another, trying to find that thing that they're looking for, that thing that's going to fill them up and get to the end and realize they wasted all that time. What I got to observe in my own dad was he spent all that time on God's team, investing in God's people, and at the end he was filled up. And he lived his life that way. And I've decided I want to quit wasting my time on the lies. And I want to spend my time, whatever time I have, I want to spend my time being on his team, living according to his agenda, investing myself in what he says is important and just stop spinning my wheels on the other stuff. Decide whose team you're on. It matters. And once you find out, once you decide to be on his team, life is pretty fun. It's pretty great. It's incredibly hard, but it's pretty great. This year, I hope you choose to be on his team, on his agenda, and you'll be developed people of people around you who are also on his agenda who can help you live out what he's calling you to do. And he has something for you to do. I guarantee it. Let's pray. Lord God, today, I am so glad you let me be on your team. I don't know how. <laughs> I, don't, I certainly didn't deserve it. And I don't even know what you're up to most of the time. On your agenda, I just, I just love getting glimpses every once in a while that you're up to something. Today, Lord God, I ask that you would always, always, always help me to be on your agenda, to make your team the most important thing about my life, to never be on the sideline watching and to never be unaware of what needs to happen, but always being a part of what's happening because I'm on your team. Lord, for anybody here today, I can decide whose team they're on. I ask that you'd help them understand that team me isn't going anywhere and that team you is everything. I pray for those who are on your team, but they've decided they'd just kind of sit it out this quarter or this season. And I ask, Lord God, that you'd give them enough discomfort, they'd get off the bench and they'd sign up and they'd do something. Whether they sign up for Rooted or they sign up to serve at children's or parking, or they would do something so they're on the team because that's what really matters. And Lord God, I just thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in this life because it matters even in the life to come. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.